power on. Time for game talk. Woo! It is time for some game talk, baby. And you know this uh, this month's game talk for January of 2019 is going to be a little bit different. Of course, uh, you know, we're kind of figuring out what we want to do with Game Talk. Actually, we're figuring out a lot of things to do with with Sovereign Tech and all of its adjoining, shall we say, properties. I don't want to be careful using that term. But, uh, you know, that includes Game Talk, the Star Wars update, and so on, and, you know, figuring out how things are going to go. Not only that, but if yesterday, if you listened to the Wednesday Q&A, our very first one, was was that our first one of January or of 2019? I believe it was. Um, if you listen to that, you notice that the audio, there is a little bit of a problem. Well, problem solved. I do think it was my mixer causing all kinds of issues, and I'm actually using the H6 in the studio. I've got it on a nice little tripod here just plugged in through USB, and it's powered by the USB as well. And, man, it sounds fantastic uh, I'm, I'm terribly terribly pleased i mean i have the same microphone hooked up to it uh, you know my audio technica microphone and because it plugs right into the xlr uh, connection on that i mean it's pretty incredible you know if you're a podcaster you can you can really just <laughs> it's amazing i mean you can put all this in a bag so easily and everything powers right through the laptop you know and you, you just toss in some X, an xlr cable and, and the microphone into a bag and you've got the h6 and away you go i mean studio on the run and i haven't even messed with the settings like you can do some uh well there's a few things you can set up a limiter you can do some compression built right in through the mixer in the h6 it's i mean what a beast of a little machine that is anyway this is game talk this isn't podcast talk okay <laughs> We're here to talk games, uh, but we got a bit of a different one for, for January. Uh, one thing that is of is going to be different from the previous episodes of Game Talk is that I'm not going to do a video game review in this one. This is pretty much going to be, you know, we'll get right into some news because there is a lot of news going on, a lot of hot and happening things. Uh, some of which, well, actually all of which I think are kind of surprises. Some are about consoles, some are about no longer consoles. <laughs> it's pretty, It's pretty amazing. But we'll start breaking into all of that. You know, though, I do want to say, you ever, this is kind of a new thing for me. Okay, so part of the reason that I'm not getting into a game review, you ever meet, I don't know, you, you, you know, you find someone that all of those things that you like to do in video games, like part of the reason I play video games is because I can do things in those vid- in video games that either I can't or like, like literally can't, obviously, you know, I can't get into a starfighter and, you know, go take on, um, whatever, like in, in life force or something. Right. But, <laughs> you know, go Vic Viper and Lord British about it all. But you ever feel like a lot of those things you want to do in video games, like Tomb Raider and so on, you ever find someone that like, suddenly you go, you know, we could actually just do all this in real life. And, and why play the video game? It's a pretty special feeling when you when you find that sort of thing. But anyway, <laughs> that's it's something I, I've I've kind of experienced. That doesn't mean I'm giving up on video games at all. It wouldn't make sense to do game talk if I were giving up on video games. But crossed my mind. Anyway, just a just a thought that you know maybe maybe you find people in your life where you can go, holy shit, you know I can just do this stuff willy nilly. I don't need to play the video game to do that anymore. I don't need to, to do the fantastical because now I can do the fantastical in real life. 
Yeah, that happens. Anyway, okay, <laughs> speaking of what may be the fantastical, I think words that no one ever expected to come out of a company like none other than Nintendo. Uh, this is actually Variety's reporting on it of all places. I don't know why Variety is reporting on game news. Actually, a lot of other news sources talked about this as well. A lot of gaming press, Polygon, Kotaku, and so on. Uh, but I thought it was just interesting for Variety to be talking about it. But here's the headline. Nintendo may eventually move away from home console development. What the fuck? And this is just from a few days ago. I'll read a little bit of the story here. Although it's hard to imagine Nintendo not having a home console on store shelves, the company could move away from developing such hardware in the future. Nintendo president Shunitaro Furukawa uh, hinted as much during a recent interview with Nikkei, uh, translated by Nintendo Everything. While Nintendo has been developing home consoles for over 30 years, Furukawa said the company's focus could shift away from, the, from them because, quote, flexibility is just as important as ingenuity, end quote. Nintendo has already had had some success branching out, whether it's through handheld consoles like the 3DS or smartphone titles like Fire Emblem Heroes. It's also dabbling in theme parks and movies, quote, different ways to have our characters be a part of everyday life, end quote, Furukawa said, quote, we aren't really fixated on our consoles. At the moment, we're offering the uniquely developed Nintendo Switch and its software, and that's what we're basing how we deliver the Nintendo experience on. That being said, technology changes. We'll continue to think flexibly about how to deliver that experience as time goes on, end quote. Um, and that's, of course, all from uh, Furukawa. Now, a couple things to, to understand with this. There's a little bit more to the story, but a couple things to grasp. First off is that Nintendo is regularly shifting CEOs, like on, on a very regular basis. Like, I think I'm, I'm fairly certain that Furukawa wasn't the same CEO that was talking like back in April. And this is by design. You know, ever since Wadasan died, uh, they, they have they've, they've pretty much been they haven't had one guy in charge. They've been shifting it up to see, you know, maybe that allows them to be a little more agile. They think, I don't know, whatever, or bring in new ideas and not get stuck in the ever changing tech landscape of today. Blah, blah. I, I'm using buzzwords, but you get my point. And I'll tell you, I think. What's really being said here or what's really going on? I mean, there's a chance that because of that consistent shifting uh, or constant changing of the guard, constant changing of leadership, this could change in a year. You know, there could be a completely different uh, path because I think most people would say, well, this is fucking nuts for Nintendo to say, you know, here they go. They got they have the Nintendo Switch. They have this really hot console on their hands. No pun intended. Why would they stop making consoles when they're at top of their when potentially they're at the top of their game? Also, no pun intended. Well, I think that Nintendo Switch Online is pointing at really maybe where they want to go. They are thinking, hey, you know, maybe one day the real money is made when we do streaming services. And this is what they're pointing at. Also, of course, yes, they are doing partnerships where they're looking at making movies. They're involved in having major attractions at theme parks. And, of course, Pokemon Go and some other things are doing very well for them. Um, but I think that that Nintendo Switch Online is really them. It's Nintendo testing the waters on how they, you know, how what, how much does streaming matter to you to the user base? How many people are willing to pay for this? How much of the gaming experience does it make up for on, you know, on the Nintendo Switch itself, on their console and so on? 
and that's probably why they're getting away from you owning games via a virtual console style service on the Nintendo Switch. So really, this is just them, I think, saying, yeah, we're looking at Nintendo Switch online and, you know, that might just be the future and you might be able to to do that on any device you happen to have. Um, I mean, take note that Nintendo is now selling pretty much, uh, well, I, I guess you would say console specific or experience specific controllers like you can get. So right now, Nintendo Switch Online is largely largely about NES games getting released. OK, uh, you know, with with various little updates in it and so on, they will they are happy to sell you a very specific, uh, you know, pair of NES uh, controllers that only work with the switch and only work with Nintendo switch online. So I'm sure Nintendo in their hardware brilliance would say, okay, you can access Nintendo switch online on your PC, on your smartphone. Hell, who knows? Maybe some other console that you'd be able to do it, but we're going to give you these USB controllers or whatever controllers will sell you the controllers so that you have the premium experience, whatever you happen to be doing granted also, you know, for, for, uh, you know, for, uh, Oh boy. Yeah. Super smash brothers. Ultimate took me a second there. Uh, you know, they, they sold the GameCube controller, right. Uh, you know, specifically for that. So clearly they're willing to, to engage in that business. But I think that's really what's going on here is that Nintendo is getting everybody ready that they're going to go all streaming. And that might really happen. You know, as, as ridiculous as I think that is, as much as that is a direction for gaming that I am not interested in, that really may occur. Uh, now, granted, you know, like we've talked about, uh, let's see, you know, my, my co-host, uh, Robin Freebeard for the Star Wars update, I think we were doing our one of the live Hangouts uh, Q&As. And in that, we, we brought up, when we were discussing things, I started thinking, I'm like, oh, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a, you know, gaming has become such a big industry and has such a large audience, okay, and consumer base, that there's going to be this split where you're going to have people that are more into traditional retro, retro-esque consoles, and then you're going to have people that are more into, you know, the latest and greatest Call of Duty or whatever the fuck else is coming out, okay? And those people are going to end up, you know, falling into some kind of streaming service because certainly Sony's already has, has their streaming service with PlayStation, um, and, you know, and it's really just a matter of time before, I mean, Microsoft's already planning one. You know, these streaming services are a thing, but then there are people who are going to want their home hardware console that they can plug in and do the business with. And those might be more retro gaming uh, affairs, you know, or maybe it's like the new Intellivision that's going to be coming out. Uh, or we have some other news of consoles coming out, uh, you know, here in a minute. It actually might be a great lead into that. But yeah, I mean, it's going to split off. And I think it's going to split off to retro consoles versus really streaming. You know, I don't I know that there's already been announcements about the PlayStation five and some hints around that and everything. But we and and granted, this does kind of get called almost every generation, almost every new console generation, which what are we going to be in the 10th generation now that that this one's going to be the last one, because the next thing you're going to get is just going to be a streaming service. And it's not really going to be a console and it's going to be a streaming service you can have. You can experience kind of anywhere. I do see that as being one direction that the gaming industry is going to go. But the gaming industry, again, is so large now, it doesn't just have to go in one direction. I think it can go in the other direction, too, or it can just fork off from each other. One goes streaming and one goes retro hardware. 
And and I really see that, you know, I very much see that happening. Uh, so, you know, I actually I had another story I wanted to get into first about this, but I'm going to shake it up, actually. And I want to talk about this next, because we are getting a new console uh, from a company that is really they they're only a software developer. This is very weird. I, I, I don't know how I, I know. I kind of know how I feel about this in one sense, but then also in a broader perspective, I don't really know how I feel about this. So the company is slightly mad studios who they did project cars. They done some racing and some various simulation games. But that's all they've really done. And they're like a British gaming developing company. And well, here the story's from GameSpot. And it's a new game console is coming to compete with PlayStation and Xbox. Exact specs haven't been confirmed yet. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of the story. Slightly Mad Studios CEO Ian Bell has revealed the company's developing a standalone console. Exact hardware and software specs haven't been announced yet, but Bell has provided a few details. Now, Stanley breaking in for a second. They have talked about or they have shown a picture now of what they expect the console to look like and it is a weird ass fucking thing it looks like an m but it really just looks like a desktop like a mini a smaller desktop computer and they're not really talking about size either but they are claiming that it's going to be the most powerful console ever built pretty much i think it's just going to be like a steam box it's going to be i mean you know, an Xbox One or Scorp Project Scorpio or whatever is basically a computer. Obviously, a PlayStation 4 is basically a computer. This one's just going to be maybe a little more computer-esque or, you know, a little more uh, open to the fact that it's a computer uh, than others. I mean, th the design looks really wild, and link is in the show notes for you to check it out. Uh, anytime I see these wild console designs, I almost, I, I pretty much never believe that they're actually going to look like that. I mean, I would have thought, you know, what, remember when they first announced the original Xbox, what was that back in 2001 or whatever, you know, the thing like when they, you know, the rock came out, it was there with Bill Gates and whatever. And it was just this giant X with this really close, re, you know, really, really cool glowing, uh, you know, like globe in the middle or whatever. That would have been awesome if that's what the fucking thing actually looked like, but that's not what it ended up looking like at all. And this has happened over and over again. So I don't, I'm not holding my breath on what they are calling the Madbox. That's the name of the console. On the Madbox looking something like that. But anyway, regardless, I'll read a little more of the story here. Uh, the first mention of the console came via Twitter when Bell tweeted, the Madbox is coming. Uh, Bell told Variety that the, again, Variety is somehow a gaming... <laughs> A rag now. But anyway, uh, Bell told Variety that the Madbox will probably release in about three years and support up to 120 frames per second for virtual reality play. Uh, quote, it will support most major VR headsets and those upcoming and the specs will be equivalent to a very fast PC two years from now, Bell wrote. Uh, quote, we're in early talks with manufacturers of components, so we can't say much more right now other than we have the design spec'd out in detail. End quote. When it comes to the games on the console, Bell wrote, quote, we think exclusive are exclusionary, but given that we'll be shipping a cross-platform engine to all developers, it will be their choice. As of now, we have no plans to pay developers incentives to exclude other hardware vendors, end quote. He further explained that Slightly Mad Studios thinks, quote, the industry is a little too much of a monopoly or a micro or a micro oligopoly end quote and the mad box aims to bring some healthy competition to the console race which for years has pretty much exclusively been a three-way battle between microsoft's xbox sony's playstation and nintendo's hardware uh, the, the Madbox is planned to release worldwide and be competitively priced in comparison to other upcoming 
consoles. We have multiple investor quote, we have multiple investors already offering the required funding for us to see the product to completion, but it's still early days and we're looking at the best offers right now. And quote bell wrote, um, I, you know, we hear this a little too often. Where's the new Atari yet? Uh, where I, I have a very hard time believing. I don't even think this is going to hit market. I just don't like, and there's no reason to even like trust these people. It's one thing if you're Microsoft, which secretly had a great hard, we're not so secretly, but it was like an open secret that Microsoft had a tremendous little hardware company, including for very important aspects of the gaming industry itself. Back when they first announced the Xbox, for example, you had the sidewinder game pads for PC that were some of the best to this day, some of the best PC game pads ever made uh, or joysticks for that matter. Microsoft understood gaming at a very core level. You know, it wasn't crazy for for Microsoft to create a console. For a company that has literally only made games, never done anything hardware-wise, you could say that they're going to get in touch with some brilliant people. I don't know. I don't believe it. I mean, and we're talking three years out. I don't think this is this is really going to happen. And actually, their attitude about exclusives, I think, is a fucking mistake. Uh, the one thing... I mean, you could think of a couple other games that were pretty wild on, on the original Xbox, uh, particularly, and I mean the original, original Xbox, like Shenmue, you know, certainly that was a big one, uh, Jade Empire, but that was a Microsoft developed game. Um, you know, there, there were some that were, that were kind of a big deal, but let's be clear here. The original Xbox was stem to stern, a halo box. That's what people even called it. They called it the halo box because that's all you played on. It was halo. The thing was halo was such a great fucking game and still is to this day. Got to admit halo CE right on, you know, that it could carry a console, right? It was that great of an experience. And if you're not going to have something like that, you're not, you're not competition. Like you're, you're just not, you have to have something that an experience you can only get by going to the mad box. And if they're not going to deliver that, then it's a fucking waste. You know, I, I mean, it, it really is. And I'm not saying I don't want somebody to shake things up. Sure. Let's have another console. Let's have this. Let's have that. But it's not like people haven't tried. Right. I, I mean, others have. And I think if they really wanted to win, they need to look at this, this forked uh, you know, industry within the gaming industry, that being like the retro consoles and so on, that's where there's some money to be made. But I just can't picture, I mean, what, is it just going to be accessible with all the streaming services? So then it's a glorified PC, you know, and that's all, then just sell it as a fucking PC. This is, this is a really bad joke. I just cannot imagine what they're going to say where everybody, I mean, there's, they're like, well, it's going to work very well with VR. Okay. If it's a VR console, Maybe that if that's what you're really pitching, that gets a little more interesting because we know that the Oculus Quest by the CEO's own words that or you know, by the, one of the lead guys there, that, of course, being the great John Carmack. And I mean that the great John Carmack, uh, he came right out and said that the Nintendo Switch is the competition for the Oculus Quest. The Oculus Quest is looking to be a console. It is an entrant into the console war. Um, they have the money to do it. They have the branding power, I think, to do it, to actually be a part of that. But even that is going to be tough to really get in there, you know, since it's just VR and not everybody's sold on VR yet. So if the Madbox is looking to compete with the Oculus Quest, okay, that's a very different story, you know, but I think that's even a failing proposition because if you, you know, the reason the Oculus Quest, I think, is going to do very well. I think like Nintendo, how Nintendo stands out in its own in this like three way battle between Microsoft, Sony and Nintendo, it stands out because it always does something unique. 
like really unique. It, it has a unique proposition of some kind every time uh, that they, they come out with something, right? Uh, and the one time that they didn't really have a unique proposition, like the GameCube, it didn't end up doing very well, even though I love the GameCube as a system. So, yeah, the Oculus Quest is going to stand on its own because it's a standalone VR headset. It does not need to plug into anything. That is the winning recipe. Okay, that's why the Oculus Go is doing gangbusters and doing so well. Um, I have one. I love the damn thing for what it is. Okay, if you're going to have to plug in a VR headset to a box, I don't think I don't think that's a winner. And I'm telling you, people don't or companies or whatever. I don't think they realize nobody is going into VR for hyper realistic experiences, not gaming experiences that require ridiculous refresh rates and whatever else. Most people are interested in VR for the cute, the unrealistic, uh, you know, kind of just the, whatever the bobbing heads. I mean, in the cube and the eight bit style figures looking like Minecraft, whatever there's no, you know, people don't really, most people really don't care. And again, you're talking about if you are wanting, I mean, if you're just looking to sell it to a, a couple hundred thousand enthusiasts, okay, that's a very different story. You're not really competing with PlayStation or Xbox at that point then either. All right. If you're trying to get millions and millions, if not billions of users, you are trying to reach a mass audience. Let me assure you, the mass audience doesn't give when they are in VR they, it, I mean, the studies are already out there. They are far more attracted to, you know, the anthropomorphized and ridiculous and stylized, okay, like the really, really kind of artsy stuff than they are the hyper-realistic, you know, that looks like they're on the holodeck or something. And I guarantee you Madbox is not going to deliver a holodeck-style experience. So, you know, it's not like they could even argue that because then maybe they'd have something. Um, that's just not happening. So, you know, Madbox, hey, you're trying – I don't think you're going to get anywhere and you probably paid GameSpot to even run your story. You know, it's, it's all goddamn paid placements. Now, someone that is doing, uh, you know, switching it up. So I have no hope for that, but something I do have hope for because the C64 mini has, in my opinion, been a rousing success. Um, I am very pleased to hear that was a, is a retro games, the, the, the company that's, or, um, yeah, re yeah. Retro games limited, the company that made the C64 mini, which I think now in fact, even more so now, and I'll explain why, I think is the clear winner in the recent couple years round of retro consoles to come out. You know, thinking the the uh, SNES Classic, the NES Classic, uh, even the Neo Geo Mini, which I love that thing, okay? But, you know, the C64, out of all of those, the C64 Mini, I think is the clear winner because it's the one that you can do the most with and that you can update. In fact, the latest update, uh, the latest firmware update, which came out for Christmas, what a nice Christmas present. In fact, I, I said this, I think, in the last game talk. I said, guys, you know, talking to the guys at Retro Games, I'm like, don't, don't drop the ball on doing firmware updates because it's your differentiator. It's the thing that's putting you ahead of the curve and is what makes your console stand out compared to Nintendo's offerings, compared to, you know, certainly compared to fucking Sony's offerings. In fact, holy fuck. They've already officially completely, I mean, we talked about a price drop before, but that was just a sale. Now, Sony has dropped the price of the PlayStation Classic to 60 bucks because they can't sell these fucking things for their life and for a very good reason, you know? Oh, fucking A, did they drop the ball on that? And I mean, and it wasn't hard, you know, but I'm not going to talk about that. But the C64 Mini is rocking. Is it's just I think destroying all of those because you're get you keep getting more with it. In fact, with uh, version they released around Christmas, the latest firmware update, version 1.2, um, they added another game 
to it. Uh, Galencia, which was like a game of the year, a game of the year in 2017 for Commodore 64, you know, because Commodore 64 games still get made. Fuck yeah, they do. In fact, uh, Sam's Journey. Wow, what a fucking platformer. What a great game. That game just came out, what, a couple years ago? Uh, they finally came out with a version of Sam's Journey that will automatically work with uh, the C64 Mini, which is brilliant. I love the fact that Commodore 64 game developers like Cytronic Software and so on um, are, are heavily supporting this platform. Again, that's just something that puts the C64 Mini over the top. It, puts, it, puts them, it, it just puts them in another class and really a leading position in this again, what I consider to be a forking off from the gaming industry into the retro gaming industry uh, and console wise at that. But uh, th there were some other things they added in, uh, including a virtual joystick that can work with a USB keyboard that you plug in. Very handy for when I'm playing V, uh, the game V on there, where I can you know use the numpad on a full size USB keyboard that will act as as a replacement for the joystick. Super fucking handy for that. Um, also, I did find out I don't. I'd have to look it up again, but there is the best. I found out what the best controllers are for the C64 Mini. And it's actually to get a pair of PlayStation 2 controller adapters, you know, where it takes the PS2 controller and adapts it to USB. And then you can just rock PlayStation 2 controllers right on the C64 Mini. And, and I've done it. I have two of them and they work fucking beautifully and it's great joystick problems solved again this system just gets better and better and they keep they keep making more uh where like loading games now you can put multiple games on the usb stick that you can plug in which allows for and you you know you can load them you don't you used to have to put one at a time you had to rename the file we talked about it during the c64 review that i did for game talk previously i think it was like episode two or episode three of game talk uh, and now it, you can just load on all the games that you want and you can just play them right off of your, you know, right off your memory, uh, you know, USB memory stick and fucking great. I mean, th again, the system just gets better. Well, it's such a success that, uh, you know, retro games limited has said, and the first pictures are out. I've got a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. Um, but they're showing off the first photos of the prototype for the full-sized Commodore 64. Um, I'm going to read just a little bit of the story here. The C64 Mini, tiny retro console, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the C64 Mini, of course, is designed to mimic the beloved Commodore 64, which is the best-selling single-model personal computer of all time, but in a much smaller package. After a couple of firmware updates, uh, the, the C64 Mini has generally been well-received. Uh, they go on. Anyway, uh, they say, we are so excited, quote, this is a quote, from retro games we are so excited to finally reveal to you the first photos of the full-size pre-production prototype of the c64 and so no more mini just the c64 complete with a fully functional integrated keyboard giving you a taste of what's coming in 2019 the company said in a facebook post uh, in a couple of the shots c64 prototype is shown alongside c64 mini for a sense of scale uh and yeah it just looks like the classic bread bin uh version of it and so here we go. It says, for a variety of reasons, we also can't confirm the delivery date, but it will be as soon in 2019 as can be achieved. So they're looking at releasing the full-size C64 replica in 2019. Perfect. Beautiful. Exciting as hell. And look, all the firmware updates, all the improvements they're making to the C64 Mini, I mean, it's going to be more or less the same hardware, you know, inside. It's just we're going to have a fully working keyboard built on top of it. I'll buy one of these the instant it hits. I'll pre-order it, no problem. I'll, hell, if, they, if they're going to do a crowdfund, I'll crowdfund it. Because you can trust the company a little bit more when they already have a successful product. And I dare say, minus the joystick, and maybe they can resolve that this time around, minus the joystick, which you can solve yourself, honestly, with the PlayStation 2 controller and a USB adapter, the C64 Mini, you know, is 
is a successful product and it's one that's out there. It's available for you to buy right now. It did not fall prey to, I mean, for obvious reasons, because it's not as popular as Nintendo in the nostalgic mindset of most people. Uh, but you know, you can buy them right now. I mean, it's, it's available. It's out there. It's real hardware and it keeps improving. You even get new games with it. I mean, for free, it's, that's amazing. So I am nothing less than impressed with what Retro Games Limited is doing. And like I said, as soon as the C64 Mini drops, or I'm sorry, as soon as the full size, as soon as the C64, not the Mini, but the full size one, uh, hits the streets, I am t- I am on fucking board. Granted, I'll probably never use my C64 Mini again once I have the big boy. But, you know, <laughs> that's all right. It'll it'll look nice. I don't know. I'll put it on a shelf in the BDSM studios or something. It'll it'll look good there. Uh, but very excited about that. I, I thought it was great for them to make that announcement. I mean, they kind of did like a triple header over the holiday weekend or over the holiday week. Just, you know, like they, they released, uh, they started their own little magazine and you could get a free issue of that. Then they did the major uh, I mean, it really was the major firmware update to version 1.2, uh, and you got the new game along with a lot of other really great features like the virtual key, uh, virtual joystick and so on. And then they said, and guess what? We are going to do the full size, uh, you know, C64, and it'll probably come out in, you know, in 2019. I can't wait, and we will definitely review it on Game Talk. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a console I feel like you can believe in. And you have to understand there are still so many Commodore new Commodore 64 games made throughout the year. I mean, nonstop. There are constantly new games. And so this could really lead that charge in that, you know, sub that subculture of the game of game of the larger gaming industry where it's all retro games, but it's still consoles, consoles that matter. And I just, I fucking love the fact that that damn thing doesn't connect to the internet. That's so great. I mean, I love the fact that I can update the firmware too, by plugging in a USB port, but I love the fact that it doesn't connect to the internet. Uh, just brilliant. I hope they don't do anything too dramatic as far as new features, as far as like uh, maybe new ports or something like that, where it could connect to the internet on this, the full size C64. I don't want to see any of that. Just make it a full size C64 mini and, you know, keep adding in those nice software improvements and I will be happy and maybe add in some games, you know, if they want to keep chalking more of those on or, you know, Hey, great. Anyway, uh, our last bit of news, this was pretty interesting. Uh, stories coming from digital trends. Hacker discovers Minus World in The Legend of Zelda for NES. So let's read a little bit of it here. The Legend of Zelda, originally released for the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1986, is still captivating gamers with the latest discovery that the game has a so-called Minus World. The term comes from the infamous World Negative One, or Minus One, of the, uh, which they call Minus World, of the original Super Mario Brothers, also for the NES. Affectionately called Minus World, the level has a hidden repository of data that was never meant to be accessed. Players, however, have found a way to enter it from within the game itself. Uh, YouTuber Skellix is looking to explore as many Minus Worlds in NES games as possible. And as he started with The Legend of Zelda, uh, or and he started with The Legend of Zelda, Unlike Super Mario Brothers, where the Minus World was accessible through in-game actions, Skellix had to dive into the game's code for The Legend of Zelda. The map in The Legend of Zelda covers an 8x16 grid, but it is capable of measuring Link's position over a 16x16 grid. Okay, so Stanley breaking in for a second. What they're saying is, and there's a video in the show notes where you can see all of it. But basically, like there are, you know, each screen, when you're playing The Legend of Zelda, the original one for the NES, when you go to the next screen, it kind of pans over. Now, the game itself only has 8 by 16 that it allows you to access, which is kind of, you know, amazing to consider that it's only that so many screens. Um, 
on you know within that grid but really the game had 16 by 16 available to it to access uh but there's eight of those screens in the grid that oh shit you know what did they do with those and what's on those and that's basically what this guy skellix ended up sort of finding uh skellix reading on skellix said that he spent six hours in tweaking the game's code to be able to enter the second half of the map without crashing once he was able to enter the Minus world, Skellix discovered a weird and glitched out version of The Legend of Zelda, but still, uh, but still stable enough to be played. Enemy sprites are reversed, and there are objects scattered throughout the levels. There is an old man that says it is dangerous to go alone, and another one that tells Link to leave your life or money. <laughs> weird. Uh, Link is also able to walk across trees, rivers, and mountains. One creepy part of the discovery was that there were a lot of graveyards in the Legend of Zelda's Minus World for some reason. There are a lot of them hidden in the Minus World when graveyards only appeared a couple of times in the game. The You know, it kind of reminds me, just stopping for a second there. Uh, it reminds me of kind of like Lavender Town, right, with Pokemon. You know, the stories around that. In fact, on my YouTube channel, you can... I, I took a clip out where, like, for Halloween, I did uh, I did a, a, a little bit about the, the legends of Lavender Town uh, in Pokemon where, you know, spooky stuff apparently happens when you go there or when you do a certain trick. And anyway, you can listen to it and find out about that. But, <laughs> but a lot of these kind of creepypastas uh, with games, I mean, that would kind of, like, bug me out for a second. I got to admit. You know, if I if I did what what Skellix ended up doing and I go into like these these other parts of the you know of data that's available on the ROM, OK, you know, on the cartridge, but on the ROM and, the you know, in the code itself. And I'm just like finding a shit ton of graveyards. Yeah, I'd be a little weirded out on that one, you know, <laughs> but but I mean, it's nothing. And when you watch the video, you know, it's just like. It's Legend of Zelda, and it clearly it's just game data that was just kind of sitting around that maybe they were going to use at certain points within the game, and it's just it's just kind of there, you know. I mean, it's the same thing that happens with Super Mario Brothers. I'll be intrigued to find if there's anything else in there. Uh, I mean, sometimes I think when you go into these like this extra code, people leave uh, kind of Easter eggs, perhaps, or things that were supposed to be a part of the game that ended up not being a part of it. It's really interesting when you get into that. So this is something I want to keep an eye on and I might report on um, in future game talks uh, that I think would actually be kind of fun. So anyway, just to read the last paragraph from the story, uh, the unlocked minus world will not help with completing the Legend of Zelda, unlike the glitch that allows players to skip to the game's ending in three minutes. However, it is an interesting look into what goes on behind the scenes, as well as all the work that developers put into the game that players are not able to see. So just an interesting, you know, I mean, check out the video and watch it. Uh, I did think the graveyard thing was was kind of funny, uh, but it's amazing that, you know, and here's the thing. We were talking earlier about how everybody's going to streaming services. Digging into the art that games are, you know, that a completed, finished game, done and done, no more updates. Here it is. We popped it on a cartridge for you. Have a good time with it. You know, being able to dig into the code and have fun with that, I mean, this is going to be, no, you know, I don't mean it to be ironic, but it's going to be a lost art being able to do this. Uh, it's amazing that we're still talking about these games, you know, 1986, was that 30 years ago? You know, I, I mean, it's, or, or more, um, you know, is that f shit? <laughs> yeah, I guess it'd be 30 years ago. Uh, 
you know, I don't think anybody's going to, you're not even going to be, because everything's going to be streamed and you're not even going to be able to look at the code for the life of you. You know, nobody's going to be looking into Call of Duty 27 and saying, well, you know, gee, what what did the developers do here and what Easter eggs here and all that? I mean, even that type of developing, I think, has kind of gone the way of the dodo. And it just speaks again to why I'm glad that there are that that I think, again, the, the gaming industry is splitting to where, you know, it's getting into two different styles and maybe one side, like I said, is going to be the streaming services. The other side is going to be more of the retro consoles, the more classic style of development, hardware and play. Okay. And I will definitely be, you know, if, if you have to choose one and no one says you have to, but if you have to choose one, I'm not going to be on the streaming side of things. I am totally going to be, you know, with the retro consoles all the way. Uh, I mean, I, and look, I'm all about having new games. Uh, I played Galencia on my C64 mini. It was great. It was a game from 2017, but it played like it was 1987 and it was fucking brilliant. Um, I mentioned Sam's Journey. It's not like I don't want to play new games. No, I want to play new games, but I want them to have that same ethos as the games that, you know, that I fell in love with and that, again, are still being chipped away at fucking 30 years later. You know, hell, 33 years later, like The Legend of Zelda, you know, and Finding a Minus World and all that. I love that where, you know, where you can really dig deep and, and that there's there's so many goodies and so many amazing things to learn about the development alone, let alone playing the game and, you know, having all the fun with that. So anyway, it's an interesting time as far as gaming goes uh, with consoles. I'll tell you, the console I'm excited for in 2019 is that full-size C64. I have no interest in the Mad Box as far as I can, you know, as far as what's been said so far. I don't even think it's going to end up being a thing. Uh, I don't think the Atari is going to end up being a thing. In television, sure, uh, we are still waiting on. Now, there hasn't been any announcement from Nintendo as far as any further classic consoles. I'm kind of surprised by that. If I were them, I'd... Well, I mean, they have a lot of stuff getting released for the Switch, so maybe that's why they're not out in front with that, but... Hopefully we'll hear something. I mean, I just think they're leaving money on the table if they if they don't release another retro console. It's guaranteed to sell. It doesn't matter if people only play it for a month. It's guaranteed to fucking sell. Uh, and, of course, you know, let, let's not forget that Sega still plans on their retro console. Uh, you know, their mini Mega Drive or Genesis coming out. It's supposed to be coming out this year. I hope that happens. I hope they do very well with it. I, I will I will get that one. Okay, I'm definitely interested in that, though I have to admit it's probably not going to have two of the best games for that system are not ones that Sega themselves did. And that being X-Men and the Jurassic Park game, the first Jurassic Park game. Without those on there, it's kind of pointless, but or it's kind of like not worth it for me because I have every Sonic game 20 million times over, you know, and yeah, I get it. It's nice to have that little package. But the C64 Mini is really showing me what these retro consoles can do, you know, and where they can go. So Sega now, in my opinion, with the retro community, really has to do something special. And hopefully they le- they've learned from Sony's mistakes. So we'll be keeping an eye out on that as well on Game Talk as to when that's going to get released. But anyway, a little bit of a longer episode this time around. And, uh, you know, basically all news uh, here, you know, no real talk of uh, no reviews of any games, even though I actually I'd love to do a review of Galencia or Sam's Journey or even some other of the newer games out there for the C64. Maybe I'll get into that because largely I've been sticking to a lot of 
uh, classic games, especially like Game Boy games and so on. But maybe I'll start reviewing those. But we'll see what shape Game Talk is going to take throughout 2019. Got some great plans going on. And uh, we'll wrap this one up. I will see all of you woo, on the other side. Game over. <laughs>